Welcome to Straight and Curly, a podcast for self-improvement junkies. I'm Kelly Exeter. And I'm Carly Jacobs. This is episode 118. Hello and welcome to Straight and Curly. Let's jump straight into the review of the week. This one comes from... (laughs) (laughs) Wild Ocean Woman. Wild, oh, wild ocean woman. Sorry, because all of the all of the words are all right next to each other. I was like, Beck, wild ocean. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's why the pause there. So uh, Beck, wild ocean woman says, how awesome is it to feel like you're catching up with a couple of very honest, very funny, very real, and super motivating friends? You guys rock. <laughs> Thank you, Beck. You know exactly what to say to be our reviewer of the week because we do love anyone who says listening to our show is like catching up with friends. So. Thank you. Um, And now onwards, as always, the next segment, the very first early segment in the show for everyone's viewing and listening pleasure is Carly's Random. I always think, how am I going to introduce this this week in a different way? Because I feel like it comes like (laughs) hard and fast. And I'm like, if anyone's listening to this show for the first time, they're like, whoa, what's this random thing of the week thing? But anyway, we do it. It's Carly's Random Thing of the Week. And Carl's, I peeked ahead and I'm already laughing. (laughs) So this is just the way my brain works. So even though I've had it explained to me many, many times and in really, really layman's terms, like I've read children's (laughs) books on this subject, I still don't fully understand how planes fly. So every time I look at one, I'm like, that's impossible. How is that even happening? And especially seeing as aviation hasn't really advanced very much in terms of different ways to fly. Like we kind of did the plane and the helicopter and then we're just kind of we're like there, yeah, done with there. that now. And <laughs> But like Ben's really into aviation and we watch aircraft investigations as much as I hate it. And my best friend used to work for Boeing. She was like a project manager seriously so many times I've had people explain it to me and every time I look at it I'm like no that's that's impossible how is that happening I am 100% with you that every single time I'm seated on a plane and I'm looking at the wing and the engine and you know and wings and engines I guess I'm just going like that makes no sense to me either so I'm 100% with you Mm. on this yeah I don't get it either. I get that it's the safest way to travel. I get that the aviation industry is so safety conscious and any time there is a crash, like it is dissected to the nth degree. There's actually a really good book about this, Black Box Thinking. Um, Read it. It's quite interesting um, about, yeah, just how the aviation industry approach to safety in that they don't paper over accidents or try to pretend things don't happen like they dig right in and as a result it's the safest in you know it's pretty much the safest industry in the world and how other industries and I won't mention I don't want to get um yelled at by anyone so I'm not going to mention what other specific industry it mentions in that book that is less uh less likely to dig into things going wrong but yes suffice to say it's a good book read it um Yes, oh, I just just about my recommendation of the week, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> I read that book, Black Box Thinking. Um, but my other recommendation of the week is The Good Place. It's a Netflix show. So last week on Facebook, I asked friends and family for a new Netflix show for Ant and I to watch, and basically everything everyone recommended was dark and thriller-like, like Ozark and um, what is it, Peaky Blinders and 
all those kind of shows and you know, or, you know, had heaps of drugs or people being really mean to each other, which is fine for Ant, but I don't really love them. Like everybody knows I love suits where the dialogue is snappy and Harvey is nice to look at and the storylines <laughs> are neat and tidy. And, and there's a princess in it. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, anyway, so one show that people recommended as light and easy was The Good Place and we weren't – have you watched it? I have. It's awesome. I really, really oh, like okay, it. Okay, cool. So we are not very deep into it. We're only probably at six or seven episodes. And after the first two episodes, we were like kind of looking at each other going, um, what is going on here? What is everyone talking about? But we're... It's really bizarre in the first couple of episodes. Okay, cool. All right. So we have persisted and we're starting to get into it. And my brother-in-law has promised me a big payoff at the end of the first season but then he also promised me that with Westworld. So, Carl's, is there a payoff coming? Well, <laughs> I actually can't remember because I watched it so long ago, but I'm pretty sure it's good. I just enjoyed the whole thing. I just had heaps of fun and just really enjoyed it. I didn't. Well, that's all I want. I just want fun. I didn't watch it seriously, though. Like, I crocheted while I was watching uh, it, and it's not a show that I've sat and sort of eyeballed. Um, but I've had it on in the background, and I just freaking love Ted Danson. He's just a legend. And Kristen Bell is amazing. And Kristen Bell is so good. Yeah. She, I mean, I just watch it for her. The cast yeah. is just great. Right, well, I'm having fun watching it. So that's my recommendation of the week. The good place. Um, Carly, your recommendation. My, my, I have a, I have a very, very, someone's going to be like, oh my God, you're such a mum yeah. when I say this, but, um, we have a cordless vacuum and it's probably just the greatest thing we've ever bought. So Look, I totally get it. I get it. Because every time I have to put my vacuum out and plug it in and blah, 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 I get it. So go on. Tell us about your cordless vacuum. Well, we we had a vacuum that we inherited from my mum and it was like a really old, like it was a really good quality one One that was really expensive. But we've had it for like 10 years and it started to smell like meat every time we vacuumed. So we're thinking we think that this is just done now. (laughs) So um, we we bought a cordless vacuum. It was one of those cheap knockoff ones because we actually really wanted a Dyson. But, you know, we're kind of like, yeah, we might just wait until, you know, we can properly mount a Dyson to a wall in a house that we own so we just kind of bought this like it was still a good quality one but it was like it wasn't you know crazy expensive but we had this this is just a really random thing that happened so we bought a cheap knockoff kind of version well not a knockoff just like a different cordless (laughs) vacuum and it came with this accessories pack and they were like yeah we've got the accessories pack but we need to send it to you in the post and we were kind of going that's really weird like can't we just have it and they went no 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 we need to send it to you in the post and we're going but it's just there. Can't you just give it to me? And they were like, no, we need to send it to you in the post. And we were kind of like, okay, that's really weird. Then we got home and Googled it. And it turns out that Dyson pretty much owns all the patents of cordless vacuuming, including the right to sell accessories packs with the vacuums. So other companies have to post their accessories packs because Dyson owns the patent on selling it as a package so that they have all these weird loopholes and stuff that they have to get around. They also own the patent on um, uh, the the cordless charger. So most non-Dysons you actually have to plug in because Dyson owns the patent on the actual dock itself Uh. being able to charge the vacuum. So there's all this weird stuff. It's so funny. And you know what? I'm actually a massive fan of Dyson. I think they're a great company and they're awesome and they deserve to own all the patents on it. But it's really funny when you're a tight ass (laughs) and those patents start to affect you and you're like, that's why you can't do that because Dyson came up with it first and no one else is allowed to do that. So yeah, that was my 
interesting thing. <gasps> Hilarious. Um, okay, so we are skipping if you were our best friend this week because we <laughs> the topic we have is quite big and we've got a few things to get through and we don't want this show going for an hour and a half as much as you guys might enjoy that. Um, and the topic of the day is the scientific guide to happiness. So I think before we kind of get into this, we have to kick off by even saying what is happiness to each of us uh and to me I had a big long conversation with this about someone the other day so I'm kind of well prepared with my answer here so to me happiness is is just a state of mind it's not a um it's not a way of being it is a state of mind and it's an impermanent state of mind and I kind of think a core component of you know lifelong contentment is being at ease with the fact that happiness is impermanent and being grateful for it like when we feel it and not chasing it just, you know, indiscriminately when it's not present in our lives. So that's kind of like as concise as I can get on that topic, Carl. I, I totally agree. I think that happiness, happiness and contentment really go hand in hand for me. And the thing with contentment is that it's ever changing and you're not always going to be able to feel content and different combinations of things will lead to you feeling content at different points in your lives. So the relentless pursuit of happiness, as you said, is kind of futile because the last time you were happy, the circumstances were so different and lots of those circumstances will no longer be available to you. So trying to recreate that happiness is also, is also futile. So I think kind of letting go of chasing it, but acknowledging it when it happens is yeah, definitely. I think one of the best things you can do so that you're not constantly feeling miserable. Yeah, agree. So the first, um, kind of theory to discuss is the golden triangle of happiness theory. And that theory is that, happiness is generally present if you have financial security, a feeling of purpose and good interpersonal relationships. Um, so to me, this, this is more like the golden triangle of low stress and overriding contentment. Um, and just on the, on topic of contentment, I do feel contentment is something you can strive for because it's, to me, contentment is a thread that can run through a day, whereas to me, happiness is more a state of being at any given time. Um, and I feel like financial security and a feeling of purpose and good interpersonal relationships are you know, stress buffers more than anything else. If you have all these things in your life, yes, you're going to be feeling content, but they're also that combination of things means you're generally not going to be feeling a lot of, we all feel stress but your stress levels are always going to be lower than anyone else who doesn't have these things. And if your stress levels are lower, you're more resilient. And because you're more resilient, you can cope with the challenges that life throws at, at you a lot better, which means if you have greater coping mechanisms for challenges, you're going to be more content. And I feel like this is a thing, this is a cycle that feeds itself. Um, that said, I do think if you kind of look at your life right now and you're not feeling happiness and contentment. Um, if you look at your life and look at those three things as pillars and go, oh, okay, I'm not financially secure and that is really stressing me out. It gives you something to work on that's tangible because if you go, I want to be happier and start chasing happiness, that's a very intangible and weird thing to even try and find because most people can't even define happiness for themselves. But if you go, oh, I'm, 
you know, I don't have financial security or a lot of the relationships in my life are really stressing me out or they're not healthy relationships. Those are quite things that you can actually work on. So I like this golden triangle of happiness theory for the fact that it gives you things that you can actually be practical about addressing as opposed to this kind of um, high level generic pursuit of happiness thing that everyone is doing, but no one really knows what they're chasing, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And I think with this particular theory that it's important to understand the privilege behind those three things. If you have those three things available to you, or if you don't currently have those three things, but you can see a way of getting those three things, then you are unbelievably privileged because there are people that, uh, so financial security, if you don't, if you can't get financial security and you can't get good interpersonal relationships because perhaps you were raised, you know, in, in an abusive family or you know, you, you don't have those kind of skills to create good, solid relationships. A feeling of purpose is kind of superfluous because if you can't get those two things, then you're a a feeling of purpose. I kind of feel is, um, a little bit trite. It's kind of like, um, it's available to people who have everything else sorted, like having a, having a sense of purpose in your life comes secondary to, you know, um, paying your rent and maintaining your job and, you know, keeping your family well and happy and that kind of stuff. So I, um, I really like this theory. I think it's very good. I agree with you. Um, as in, having those three things as goals, particularly if you are feeling a bit lost and you're a little bit underwhelmed and you are in a position to be able to actively pursue some sort of satisfaction or contentment in your life. These are great things to aim for, but also, yeah, realize how lucky you are to be actually to have the option to pursue those things as well. Yeah, that's right. Because, um, just on the topic of financial security, like a lot of, um, a lot of dialogue around finances seems to be that, anyone can achieve financial security, anyone can achieve financial security. Oh God, I can't say those two words together. Um, <clears throat> but I read an interesting article the other day and it, it just told me what I already knew that um, not having money is very expensive and it's a bit of a self-perpetuating cycle because if you're living on the breadline and you say you get a parking fine, and you flat out do not have the money to pay that parking fine. So then you get a late fine on top of the parking fine. And, you know, it, it kind of built. And then you have to get a, have to go to court and take a day off work. Yeah, and-, and then, you know, or you get sick and you can't afford to, you know, go to the doctor about being sick. I mean, in Australia you can, but other countries you may not be able to. And then you lose your job because you were sick. So it like achieving financial security is just not a matter of just being, uh, you know, having a job and being smart about how you use your money. It's, it's pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. It's something that is genuinely very hard to achieve for a large portion of society. And so if achieving financial security is within your means or within your control, um, do get it because it's going to reduce your stress level significantly, but don't feel too virtuous. And, um, I can't think of the word, but yeah, smug is the word. Um, and again, like I'm only speaking from personal experience that I, in the past have felt quite smug about achieving a level of financial security and, um, and then had it kind of yanked away from me from things out of my control and got a good reminder that, you know, a lot of things in life aren't within your control and, you know, things, 
a lot of what we call I work hard and I do the right thing and therefore I deserve what I get is actually privilege and we need to acknowledge our privilege in in these situations, especially around the whole topic of happiness. Like if you even get to sit here Definitely. and think, how do I have a more meaningful life or how do I have a happier life? It means you're not scraping around trying to just survive because people who are just trying to survive don't have time to worry about having a meaningful life. Don't have the luxury. So, yeah, so I guess that is something we have to be aware about in even having this conversation about happiness or meaning or and I think we're going to talk about meaning in a in a subsequent episode um but yeah yeah so the next the next theory that we wanted to discuss was the desire theory so this is a very basic one this one is whereby the satisfaction of a desire can make you happy so it can be anything from a chocolate bar or having a book published but this theory basically supports that any desire being met um, should result in an increase in happiness uh yes so yes this theory better acknowledges that happiness is only ever a fleeting state and that we can find happiness in the smallest things if we're willing um so as an example some of my best daily happiness comes via the hot shower that I have every day. Yeah, I'm the same. Like my my little moments of happiness in the day are like snuggling down into bed with Ben <laughs> at night after I've had a really productive day. I'm such a nerd. Like if I if I get a lot done, like I've had the most productive day today. I'm so like I was just so freaking on it. Um, <laughs> Kelly will know how amazing this is. I wrote five blog posts and five emails oh accompanying god. those blog posts oh as well before we recorded today oh my god are you on crack <laughs> probably. yeah probably look <laughs> i just have to get a shit ton of stuff done before i have my baby but um yeah so i was like super productive today but that makes me really happy because i'm like i've i've done all this and i'm going to the movies tonight um with my friend kate from secret bloggers business she's excellent um and we've had this date planned for like ages because we <laughs> we both work from home and never leave our houses so it, those kind of things make me really happy i'm like i've I've had a really productive day. I've done lots of stuff and now I get to go and hang out with my friend and have a nice night. Like that's because that's satisfaction yeah. to me. So today is a happy day because yeah, there's, there's been um, desires being met and also high levels of satisfaction as well. Nice. So the next theory is the proximity triangle theory. And this theory states that if you, to, if you were to draw a triangle with three points, where you live, where you work and where you shop, the smaller that triangle is, the happier you are. So this reflects the fact that studies have conclusively shown commuting is a great source of unhappiness, uh, mostly because, well, not mostly, but because commuting steals time from self-care and, it's sp and spending time with people you love, um, commuting also exposes you to the stress and anger of others. And it's also often uncomfortable. So for example, a long train commute where you're standing for a large part of the trip. Um, yeah. So just like in our own house, it's been so interesting to see the remarkable increase in my husband's general happiness this year by removing what was really quite a chilled commute. So he would drive to work. It would take maybe 25 minutes on a bad day, but most days 15 to 20 minutes, um, very mild traffic conditions, yet removing that commute from his day every single day has just lightened him up a lot. So, yeah, I think this proximity triangle theory has, has a, lot of, um, a lot of strength and it's mostly based in the fact that we don't like being in, in cars or in transport, not of our own choosing. 
Absolutely. I totally agree. So I used to live in a really great suburb that I really loved and getting outside every day wasn't a chore because it was just a delight to be in that suburb. My new suburb (laughs) is not like that at all. And I swear that the people who drive in my suburb and it's only my suburb that it's in, like the second I get out and go to visit other friends, it's fine. People drive like maniacs where I live and they're impatient. And, (laughs) and also, cause we, we live in a, um, there's heaps of street parking where I live. So you basically have to to weave in and out of the cars to kind of so you you, you're driving along a dead straight road and you have to stop five times to let people go around the car that's parked on their street so it's not too many people live in my suburbs so that's kind of the main issue with it um but like I don't even where I live and work are the same place and where I shop is a seven minute drive away. So my triangle is only marginally bigger than my old triangle. My old triangle, my, I used to shop a two minute walk <laughs> yeah. away from my house and my office. So, and I was delighted with that arrangement. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the smallest amount of commuting time is best. I have also found that I prefer it like if it's available to me, I find um, yeah. walking or um, just s- such a better way of transport than anything else. So I used to walk to the gym in the morning and it was a 20 minute walk, but I didn't care because it was just such a lovely walk and it was great. I now drive nine minutes to the gym, which is a shorter amount of time, but I'm driving in this shit awful suburb where people are just impatient and horrible and you know they like it's it's just it, it's an absolute shit show yeah and that's it i just think yeah commuting brings out the worst in people and that's what, and that's i think it's such really a big does. factor in exposing us to other people who are you know at their worst and when you remove that commute it just removes a lot of angst and nastiness from your life but yeah i do love this little proximity triangle theory that the, the smaller – it sounds a little bit homogenous and a little bit like I'm just going to hang out with people, only the people I know, but this is different to travelling. I think what it's saying is if you operate effectively in a village because we like villages, we well, we like tribes, this is what we came from um, – that's where we're at our best. If we operate in a small area, we know the people in our shops, we – people know us by name, they know our coffee orders, little things like that just make you feel better. And it's, you know, but what the op- as soon as you move outside that triangle or widen that triangle, I guess maybe you just start coming into contact with more people and the more people you come into contact with, the more likely it is that they're going to be <laughs> not nice people. Um, but yes, um, that's so true. It's like because my 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 little bubble where I live with Ben is just absolute yeah. bliss. And then anytime I have to leave it and see other people and strangers and people in cars, I'm like, ah, oh, the world is awful. I hate this. And maybe this is an interesting thing to think about social media about the way that it's extended that triangle way way out of you know to to yeah. good effect and to bad effect. Um, anyway, the next theory is the Einstein theory, and it's the saying that a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. Um, so this is tricky because it's kind of crucial to note that humans are wired to be dissatisfied. It's our competitive advantage in the animal kingdom. It's why we have ascended to where we are today. Um, so it really requires quite a lot of reprogramming to turn down that desire to strive and be better and want more. And the way that I've kind of figured out to do this 
that's healthy is striving from a place of abundance rather than scarcity. Um, I think striving from a place of abundance is more realistic than not striving at all and just being really content with what you have. Um, I feel like striving from a place of abundance is acknowledging what you have but acknowledging that you could be better and trying to be that better person. Um, So, yeah, so I do agree that a calm and modest life where you're not constantly striving and feeling dissatisfied is going to bring more happiness. But then I get a lot of happiness from striving. So, you know. (laughs) Same. And I also think that this uh, theory of happiness is incredibly rich coming from (laughs) Einstein, who's just arguably one of the biggest strivers uh, in, in the pursuit of success ever in the history of the world. So I'm just kind of like, practice what you preach, Einstein, really. Yeah, I mean, we, we get where you're coming from, buddy. We get where you're coming from. So look, I'm now calling him Buddy, just yeah. like Kristen Bell does, calls Ted Danson Buddy and it's a good place. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Have you started saying forking? Oh, forking. <laughs> we should say forking on the show. That's much better. We should say forking. What, what are they I used to be very, very good at twee swearing because <laughs> yeah. I used to teach primary school, but then I stopped and now I just swear like a sailor. But um, I still say yeah. sugar. Like if I drop something, I won't say shit. Sorry <laughs> if there's a kid listening. There probably is. I'm pretty sure I've already said shit this <laughs> yeah. episode anyway. But I won't, I won't say that. I'll say sugar. And everyone just laughs at me. like, oh, sugar. And they're like, oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah, I do a gosh darn it as well. I, the funny, one of the funniest bits in The Good Place is she, she was like, we're fucking forked. And I just lost it <laughs> um, when she did that. But um, all right. So, yeah, sorry, we were bagging Einstein. So, but, um, no, we get it, Einstein. We do agree that a calm and modest life. And I guess what all he's saying is, you know, Stop looking at all the things you don't have and be appreciative of what you do. So we we can get on board with that, I think, Einstein. Yeah, definitely. Um, the next theory we have is time versus money, and this is based on a um, – no, sorry, that's a different one. My brain just went to a completely <laughs> different place. So basically this study proves that people with more time are happier than people with more money. Yes. And I think this is, I don't know if it's this exact study or another one, but it's shown quite conclusively that after a certain level of earning, more money doesn't make us happier. And I think this relates back to that golden triangle of happiness where once you're earning the amount of money, that means you're financially secure and you have something to put away for rainy days and you know that you're earning enough money that you're not constantly worrying about money, then more money isn't going to make you any happier. And then that's the point where once you don't have to worry about money anymore, your happiness is going to come from having the time to spend with the people that you love and make you feel good about yourself and also having time to spend on the things that give your life meaning. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I absolutely agree um, with this. But also like this this comes back to uh, the mental state of very high income earners. So I see a lot of the time if there's a CEO of a company that gets paid $3 million, Facebook warriors go, no one deserves to be paid $3 million. And how can you ever justify, you know, someone earning that much money. The thing is, is that you actually can justify paying someone that much money because if you're the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, it's an unbelievable amount of stress. It's an unbelievable amount of um, stress on your time, on your family. Basically the company owns you and you can also end up in jail for mismanaging a, a company of that size. Like I've seen that happen. And you're reporting to a lot of people. You're the, like you're 
the stakeholders that are, you know, uh, you're reporting to, like, so you're reporting to a board and you're reporting to shareholders and you're reporting to customers. It's ridiculous amount of pressure. It's unbelievable. And that's, that's the thing because you can't just pay someone a hundred thousand dollars to do that because newsflash, no one's going to do it for that amount of money. You need to pay, you're basically paying for someone's life. You're paying for their full attention. Yeah. And also uh, this is why CEOs often don't last very long. They're kind of, I mean, I don't mean that themselves in particular jobs, they tend to move on quite quickly because you just can't work with that kind of dedication and that kind of um, focus. And this is not me, you know, like jerking off CEOs and being like, they're the greatest things ever. But I I do actually understand why CEOs get paid the way they do. And if someone offered me a $3 million CEO job tomorrow, I'd be like, nah, I, I yeah. just, I really enjoy, no, Thanks. like, and I, cause I really enjoy working from home and I really enjoy, you know, <laughs> going for a walk at lunchtime and going to the gym at any time of day. And to me, it's not worth $3 million to do 16 hour days in an office for a company that I don't own, um, that probably isn't a very nice company either, because generally companies that can afford to pay their CEOs $3 million generally aren't uh, very socially conscious. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, um, just this, the stress of earning more money is not always worth it. And if it is worth it to you, go for it, but I will never begrudge someone getting paid $3 million for a job that they are basically owned by the company to do. Yeah, and for de- to, for doing a job that I don't yeah, want to do, basically. Exactly. So, yeah, it's like I would never want to be prime minister of a country, and I'm glad that there are other people willing to put their Ooh, hands up. I reckon that. I'd be a pretty <laughs> mad prime minister just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't do a worse job than the last few. No, had. definitely couldn't. Um, anyway, um, then the final theory I think is this the final theory. Yes. Um, is experiences versus possessions theory. And basically it breaks down to people who spend their money experiences rather than objects are happier. So yes, it was a San Francisco university study. They demonstrated that experiential purchases such as meals out or theater tickets resulted in increased well-being because they satisfy higher order needs specifically the need for social connectedness and vitality which is a feeling of being alive um and i think anyone who's purchased something like a thing they have experienced you know the glow in the moment of having that thing that instant gratification what it was yeah the very instant gratification and then being a little bit nonplussed by how that quickly that feeling evaporated um and how quickly the glow went away. So yeah, as the study showed, it wasn't necessarily the experience. Oh, sorry. So talking about the experience versus the thing, it's not necessarily the experience that brings joy. It's the social connectedness. Um, and the fact that you now have a memory that you could share with another person. And I've got a really good example of this. Um, I don't want to talk about it because it makes me sound really boastful, but anyway. Um, so I've been to two Commonwealth games for triathlon representing the country of my birth which is Trinidad and Tobago and like Carly has no reaction because she does not follow sport in any way do you know what the Commonwealth Games are yeah no I do but do you mean that you actually competed in them yeah that's amazing I didn't know that that's really cool (laughs) I get that that's cool Kelly I know (laughs) that doing sport and representing your country at the Commonwealth Games is very very cool and I also understand the Olympics so there Anyway, so I have been to two GOM games. The first one was in Manchester and I went over, so I went over there by myself 
Um, you know, I, I went over there and I met up with the Trinidad and Tobago team over there, but I didn't know anybody else on the team, um, bar one person. And because I'm so shy, like I am not going to approach people and make them talk to me. So you know, I was completely reliant on people approaching me and talking to me, which they didn't do because they're all there caught up in preparing for their own event. So I was quite lonely and homesick for the whole experience. Um, and so as much as it was an amazing experience, I didn't really take advantage of it because I didn't have anyone to share it with. Like, so I, I don't look back at it and, and go, oh, that was just so amazing because there was no one there to share it with. Um, but then I got a do-over in Melbourne, which was the next Commonwealth Games. And this time, first of all, I knew people in the team from the previous games. Um, I had my coach with me in the village, which was amazing. So I got to um, have this very special experience with him. He was just completely in his element. Like he just loved it. It was so, so cool. Um, My family came to Melbourne. My friends came over and surprised me. Um, So I have the best memories of that experience. It's two same experiences, but my memories and experiences of it are completely different because of the uh, connectedness that I had with the people who share those experiences with me. So I guess all that's to say is it's not just about having an experience. So like Carl's, if you go to a share concert by yourself or share, how do you say share? <laughs> Don't say share. Oh my God. Um, so if you go to a share concert by yourself, the experience is going to be far different than if you go to a share concert with someone who loves her as much as you do. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I actually, I, I had, I, cause I've already gone to see Cher. She was amazing. It was just the best night ever. Um, but it turned out it was actually really good because I was going to going to make Ben come with me and yes. he was going to, cause I couldn't get anyone to go with me because no one seemed to want to go see her. And then Ben was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Cause he knew how much I wanted to go <laughs> yeah. and going on my own just wasn't going to be very fun. Then we found out that one of his best mates, girlfriends wanted to go And then she was like, oh, hey, Carly, do you want to come with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then so I'm like organizing this with her and she's booking the tickets and stuff. And then Ben was just kind of listening to this conversation. And then um, and then he goes, sorry, what's going on? I said, well, you don't have to go to Sher anymore. And he was like, "Okay, that's great. And then he said, and I'm going to go with Emma. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. And I said, so Sam's free so you can hang out with Sam. And then he was like, oh, my God. So not only do I not have to go and see Cher, but I also get to hang out with my mate and just play video. This is the best night of my life. Like it was it was so good. They ended up – it was actually really cute. So what they ended up doing was – so his friend Sam is uh, – Sam and his girlfriend Emma are – uh, fostering dogs at the moment. And they've got this gorgeous dog called Jet. He's beautiful. He's like a mastiff, a bull mastiff. Yeah. And they, they have to look after him until he can get rehomed. And they're supposed to take photos of him to help him get adopted. So they did a puppy photo shoot while we were at Cher. I was like, stop, you guys are killing me. And this dog (laughs) is just so beautiful. He's just one of those, like, you know, that kind of like staffy bull mastiff, little happy, satisfied face. He's got one of those. He's so cute. Um, so yeah, that was my share story. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that, um, yeah, all, all of this, this is why I'm not into kind of bars and clubs and restaurants and fancy yeah. things like that. I'm I'm just kind of like, let's just grab a bottle of nice wine. We'll go to like a cheap Indian place down the road. And I, yeah, I'm not into spending a lot of money on things that I find unnecessary because most of the time I'm just into the company. Yeah. 
And it's, and it's, you know, whatever floats your boat. So if you're a massive foodie, then of course you're going to want to do like a massive food tour of Melbourne and the places that you go are going to be, you know, important to you. But, you know, it ultimately it comes down to uh, experiences beat out things, but the experiences are usually not as fun to do by yourself as they are to share with another person who you now have this memory with that is going to last a lifetime so weird weird side note on that actually so I I'm not a foodie um and I I when um Heston Blumenthal came to Melbourne and everyone was shitting themselves and they're trying to get (laughs) these you know like I think it was like $500 a head or something or $1,000 a head to go to this um fat duck that was in Melbourne and I remember looking at it going that is just something I would never spend my money on and weird side fact I don't like Heston Blumenthal I think he's a wanker um (laughs) but that's besides the point I just think he just says his own name too often like every time I see his show he's like Heston's big thing Heston's amazing other thing and I'm just like you've said your own name like 20 times in this episode anyway I love all the stuff that he does but I think he's a wanker anyway point the point I'm trying to make is I randomly stumbled upon this show. So many people are going to get angry at me for saying I that. I know. I'm just, um, I'm just envisioning <laughs> the emails now. But anyway, keep going. But I um, – like as a person – I'm sorry, now I'm backtracking. I'm just like, oh, my don't God, I'm already pre-apologizing don't, don't, no, for no, it. No, you can't. Um, but he – so that there was a whole episode on the Fat Duck restaurant in Melbourne and it popped up one afternoon and I just started watching it and it was – one of the best hours of TV. It actually went on forever and ever. But I was watching these people that went to this restaurant and enjoying every mouthful of everything that they ate and just really thoroughly enjoying this experience. And they were drinking wine and laughing and having the best time. And I loved watching people love a thing that I don't love. And I was just like, this is bringing me so much joy watching these people have so much joy. So I think that, yeah, I, I really think it's awful to judge people on the things that they like because I just I just love watching people really enjoy stuff and I'm like I don't I don't get what you're doing at all but I really love that you love it yeah I just one of my friends um Donna she loves Oprah and so when Oprah came to Australia and Donna got to be in the audience at Oprah's show and like she was just off the planet so excited <laughs> and so thrilled and I was like uh, I like Oprah she's okay um I get it um but, you know, I'm not really that into it, but I was so caught up in Donna's excitement and thrill. It was so, yeah, I just love watching people have those experiences that is, you can see it's just going to be with them for a whole lifetime. So, yes, experiences over things, people. Um, and that brings us to the end of the Scientific Guide to Happiness. We are now going to go on to kicked ass for the week. So anyone who has been listening along this year has noted that this year has been quite full on for me because I have been basically doing two jobs. Um, so I started transitioning away from that whole two job thing about two months ago. And I am thrilled to say that right at this moment in time, it feels like I only have one job. And it feels amazing. And I even got bored on the weekend last weekend, which was just a weird but awesome feeling. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And very comforting because I've had um, a lot of people tell me that once you have kids, you'll never have time to do anything. So <laughs> someone who has two kids and got bored on the yeah, weekend, is a, it's bored. a lovely thing to hear because I get told daily how my life is about to end. And I'm like, cool. Thanks, <sighs> Dick. Sigh. Um, so my kicked ass, and I'm sure I'm going to get slammed for this, and I'm not trying to body shame anyone by saying this. 
or make anyone feel guilty. But um, I made a goal um, throughout my pregnancy to try to only gain the recommended amount of weight. Um, and I'm totally on track, which I'm really, really proud of. And I definitely understand that this was available to me because I haven't been sick and I haven't had any other kind of complications, which meant I could continue to exercise and eat just the food that I normally ate because I haven't had many aversions or anything. So I understand that there's great privilege that comes with me actually being able to do this, but I'm just so stoked because at all other times when weight gain is on the cards for women, such as, you know, puberty or moving in with a partner or turning 30, my body has taken full advantage of those situations. So I'm just so happy and proud. My body sucks so hard, but there's something about pregnancy that's just really agreeing with it for some reason. So So I'm just so thrilled that I've, I've pretty much only gained kind of baby and placenta and water and blood and all that stuff that you're supposed to gain <laughs> and my, my clothes are fitting around my very very small bump um but yeah and that's not it, it's it's hard to say that this is a, a win but I have been conscientiously trying very hard to maintain a healthy weight throughout my pregnancy I'm thrilled that I've been able to do it and I do hope that by me saying that that hasn't made anyone else feel bad for not doing that or not being able to do that or not caring about doing that like I you know i it's perfectly fine if you are pregnant and you just like stuff it. I'm just going to eat whatever I want and whatever the baby wants, because that's what feels good to me. That's everyone has their own journey and I fully support that, but this is just my personal journey. And I'm very proud that I've been able to do that so far. Good job, Carl. I agree with you. You take, you be proud. Um, <clears throat> all right. Kiktar asked, okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that <laughs> life feels incredibly under control and my workload is incredibly under control. And of course, so I'm now totally freaking out. So welcome to my head, people, the place where you can acknowledge that, yay, life is great and how fabulous that everything is under control. Wow. Simultaneously freaking out is, you know, that, oh, what, why is everything going under control? Is it because I have got no work? I don't think it's because <sighs> I've got no work. Is there not enough work in the pipeline? And yeah. So this is anxiety, my friends, and it's just a gift that keeps on giving. So anxiety gets super freaked out when there's nothing to be anxious about. Absolutely. And so, <laughs> and so it just gets busy making you feel a bit shit anyway. But, yes, don't worry about me. I have ways of dealing with it, but it's um, still a little bit annoying. <laughs> yeah, I've got the exact same thing. Like I'm very on track for all the stuff that I needed to get done before I give birth. And every day I'm like, but what if she comes now? Like what if she just comes like like 10 weeks early? What are you going to do then, Carly? What are you going to do then? I'm like, this is not helpful. Shut up. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely on board with that. Um, so th- my, <laughs> my kick our ass is a really weird one. But I've had this weird craving. I really want to cuddle a cat. Like I don't have a cat and I grew up with cats and I've really, I'm not like a cat lady, but I bloody love a cat. Like if you have a squishy cat at your house, I'm 10 out of 10 going to rub my face on it. Um, but the thing is, is that you you kind of shouldn't really be, like you can't change kitty litter trays or be around like cat feces when you're pregnant. If you live with a cat already, it's fine. But if you don't live with a cat, like shoving a cat in your face when you're pregnant, when you haven't been around cats probably isn't really the greatest thing. But like, I just want to get a really big fat ragdoll cat and just squish it really hard. Um, and yeah, and I don't know anyone with a cat like that. So I've, I've just had it in my head for ages. It's a craving I haven't been able to satisfy. And so if anyone has a big squishy delicious, like I'm talking like a cat that's like a, almost a lion size. I want a big cat. I want that's going to like do that head boop thing where they like rub their nose on, on you because they love you so much. That's what I want. 
<laughs> All right. People in Melbourne, noted. Have you taken <laughs> notes? And um, what a way to wrap up the show, Carl. Yeah, so that uh, that that is the show finished for today. Don't forget we do have a Patreon page. Uh, so if you really like the podcast and you want us to keep doing it, if you could kick a couple of dollars our way per month, that would be amazing because it's not free to do the show. We have to pay for production. Um, and Kelly and I don't get paid for the show at all. Um, but, you know, we love doing it and love our community. So if you want this community to thrive, um, it'll only cost you like a cup of coffee a month uh, to support yeah. us. Yeah, and that would be at patreon.com slash straight and curly. Yeah, because I keep forgetting to say that. (laughs) And finally, do jump into the Facebook group and share your thoughts about this week's show. What do you think happiness is and do you like it as a concept even? Um, And if you have a question you'd like us to workshop for you in the If We Were Your Best Friend segment, as we did have to miss that this week, do drop us a line at hello at straightandcurly.com. Thank you so much for listening to Straight and Curly. This week's show notes and links will be available at straightandcurly.com. And if you have any questions or weird self-improvement hacks you want us to trial, you can tweet us at Kelly Exeter or at Smaggle, or you can email us at hello at straightandcurly.com. Bye.